If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. All of you loyal listeners know the drill by now, but for any new listeners out there, I am your host, Tyler, and I am actually flying solo on this edition of the podcast. Both Curtis and Charlie, my uh, usual co-host, are out of pocket today. Curtis has a big brief due tomorrow. Apparently, I guess you actually have to do work at law school. I guess that's a thing. So he's got that going on right now. And Charlie, she's actually traveling for business today. So that leaves you guys with this guy. For better or for worse, you got me today. But it's all good. Uh, I couldn't let you guys go without your weekend football fix. So I have you guys covered today. I actually had some stuff going on myself today. It was a really busy day. And it's right now 11.08 p.m. on Thursday, March 5th, so it's late, but I did not want to leave you guys hanging. I wanted to make sure you guys had your weekend football fix taken care of, so that's what we are here to do today. And uh, it actually works out pretty well because with Curtis and Charlie not here, that kind of gives me a chance to run with an idea that I wanted to back in January when the 2019 season actually did end. But at that time, I decided not to do it because I wasn't exactly sure anyone would actually care about it and want to listen to it, and I didn't really want to take the time to do the show if no one wanted to listen to it. But over the past couple of weeks, I've actually had multiple listeners reach out and ask me to do pretty much this exact show that I wanted to do back in January, and that is a recap of what we got wrong and what we got right with our 2019 preseason football season predictions. Uh, we put those out there, uh, it was last August, I want, I want to say maybe last uh, late July, but uh, late July, early August, somewhere around there is when we put those out. And I always think this is a fun exercise. It's, it's fun to go back and just laugh at yourself for all the things that you were ridiculously wrong on. And, and also, maybe, who knows, pat yourself on the back just a little bit for the things that you somehow miraculously got right. And, and uh, I always think accountability, it's a good thing, right? Uh, now, I am well aware of the fact that it is now March, and here we are still talking about the 2019 season. It's a little late. I get it. But hey, it's the offseason, and as far as I'm concerned, any excuse you can find to talk hardcore football in the middle of March before spring practice even starts, like, it's all good in my book. And with us planning to start our spring practice preview series next week, this is probably the last chance I'm going to get to do this show, and if the people want it, the people are going to get it here on the Glory UJ podcast, because at the end of the day... That's what we started this podcast for. We started this podcast to create content that the most diehard, hardcore Georgia fans wanted, 
And since some of you guys are asking for it, I figured why not. So let's go ahead and uh, let, let's do this. And uh, I ran through a couple of ideas on how exactly to structure this particular episode, but ultimately I decided to kind of just keep it pretty simple. I'm going to give myself a margin of error of one game plus or minus, all right? So if I predicted a team was going to go 7-5 and five, then they went 8-4, and four, that's within the margin for error. If they went 6-6, six and six, that's also within the margin for uh, margin of error. So uh, I'm going to start with what we got wrong, and I'm also going to include Charlie's picks in here as well, because Charlie was the one who did the pre- uh, preseason prediction show with me. So I'll throw some of her picks in here as well, ones that she got right and some that she did not get right, like all of us. But uh, I'm going to start with, with what we got wrong because you have to own it. You have to own it, and uh, you have to be able to make fun of yourself when you get something wrong, as you inevitably will when you run a podcast and have to give opinions multiple times every week and talk about all the different games going on within the league. And uh, then after a sufficient level of derision and ridicule, I'll move on to the much more pleasant task of recounting what we actually got right with our 2019 preseason predictions. And just a quick reminder, if you didn't catch the show back in July or August, whenever it was that it ran, uh, these are predictions on the SEC. We didn't, in the past, we've done all the different conferences, but this year we kind of just stuck with the SEC went, and went with kind of a deep dive within the conference. And then we also gave out our college football playoff pick. So we'll do that at the end, but this is Pretty much going to be an SEC-centric episode here. But uh, let's start with, again with what we got wrong. And, uh, man, let's start with Missouri. Let's start with Missouri because that's the worst of the worst when it came to our preseason predictions, especially for Charlie. Uh, we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, but Charlie and I were both on the Missouri train in August. We were. Got to own it. Yeah, we were on that Missouri train, uh, that Missouri team that finished 6-6 six and six and lost five of their last six games after starting 5-1 and one to open the season. Well, back in August, I had them going 9-3. and three. Uh, That was my preseason prediction for them. Uh, just a little outside uh, on that one. But as bad as that was, poor Charlie, as I said a second ago, and, and I really hate to do this to her, especially when she's not here to defend herself, uh, she actually had them going 11-1. and one. Uh, She went out on a limb, to say the least. Uh, she had their sole loss coming here in Athens in November. Um, and I, I really, again, I hate to do this to her without her here to defend herself, but I guess this is just what she's going to get for leaving us hanging today. Um, I, I mean, uh, look, I, I was on Missouri, but Charlie was on Missouri. Uh, but but there's, there's some context here. I got it wrong. I own it. Charlie got it wrong. We both got it wrong there. But things, like, they really spiraled out of control for Missouri when their quarterback, Kelly Bryant, pulled up with a hamstring injury in the first quarter against Kentucky. I was actually watching that game in the first quarter of that game, uh, and I saw Kelly Bryant, he's scrambling out to the right, he runs out of bounds, and he as he's running out of bounds, he kind of pulls up lame. You can see him grab his right hamstring. Uh, I believe it was his right hamstring, one of the hamstrings. And I was like, oh my God, yep, yep, there goes their entire season. They got nothing behind him at that position. And uh, my preseason prediction of Missouri, that's going to be wrong, and people are going to have to point and laugh at that one. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, it, they went on to lose that game against Kentucky where he got hurt, and then they lost the next three games after that. And like, no, they would not have gone 11-1 and even with a healthy Kelly Bryant. They would not have. But I do think 9-3 and three or 8-4 and four was very possible if he would have stayed healthy. I don't think they were beating us. That was not going to happen. We were just better than they were. And uh, they probably still would have lost to Florida. Probably. 
but they very easily could have beaten Kentucky and Tennessee at home. Um, I, I think they could have gotten those games, Kentucky on the road and Tennessee at home. But that's football, uh, and it didn't happen that way. Kelly Bryant does go down with an injury. Things like that happen. So at the end of the day, Charlie and I were both way, way off on Missouri. So I had to start with a, with, with a big one there. That was not a good look for us. We have to have to admit that. Um, all right, next up, let's talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks. And Charlie and I were also both off on South Carolina as well, but uh, this time it was me. I got to make fun of myself here. It wasn't Charlie. This time it was me who was way further off on the Gamecocks than Charlie was. I actually had the Gamecocks at 8-4 and four in the regular season, while Charlie had them at 6-6. Six and six. She was much closer, but we were both outside that margin of error of one game, plus or minus, as the Cox ultimately went an abysmal 4-8 and eight in 2019. I did not see that coming, have to admit it. Uh, and look, I was probably going to be off regardless on this one, as eight wins was clearly pretty aggressive, if you look at look back at it in retrospect. But uh, to me, really, most context here, as there was with Missouri, it was that Jake Bentley injury in Week 1 against North Carolina. That's really what sealed the deal on this one. In fact, when I, when I saw that he was... Uh, basically going to be out for this season. I'm like, well, there's another one. There's no way I'm going to be right on that one. So there's another pick for people to point and laugh at. Uh, and, and the guy who replaced Bentley, Tyler Herlinski, uh, he had his moments as a freshman, but he didn't perform anywhere near the level that a senior Jake Bentley would have performed at up and down that season. Um, look, they, even with Bentley, they weren't going to be Alabama. They weren't going to be Clemson. But with a healthy Jake Bentley, I absolutely think South Carolina would have beaten Appalachian State. I think they could have beaten Florida at home. I mean, they were very competitive in that game against the Gators, even without Bentley. I mean, they were winning most of that game. There were some horrible calls that game that really turned the tide for Florida. And with a healthy Jake Bentley, that might have been enough for for the Cox to win that one. And I think they could have definitely gotten the win uh, in Knoxville on the road. So, like, I can't guarantee that, but they they certainly had a much better shot of getting that win. But, again, they still were not going to get to eight wins. I have to admit that. Uh, maybe six or seven, but not eight. So uh, I got that one wrong, and uh, Charlie got that one wrong as well, although she was much closer than I was. All right, next up, uh, let's talk about the Florida Gators. Uh, now, this is one that we we both got wrong. Charlie and I both got wrong, but it wasn't like South Carolina for me or Missouri for Charlie. Neither one of us was way off on Florida, but we did both uh, miss the margin of error, barely, but we did miss the margin of error as we both had the Gators at 8-4 and four in the preseason. Obviously, they ended up with 10 wins. We know how that all ended up. But, like, still in reality, like, they were... Like, Florida was really about what I expected them to be last year, with one big exception, one big surprise, and that was quarterback Kyle Trask. Uh, I killed Felipe Franks all offseason. If you guys were with me back back then, uh, back to the 2019 offseason, you know that I thought Felipe Franks, well... Uh, I just thought he wasn't any good at all, and I still think he's not any good at all, uh, and there's nothing that I saw when he was healthy, especially that game against Miami in week zero last year, that led me to even remotely consider changing my opinion on him. He's just not a good quarterback, at least not he wasn't in Florida, we'll say that, uh, and I firmly believe that if Felipe Franks did not get hurt in game three against Kentucky, that Florida would have gone I, I feel pretty good saying eight and four at best. I, I really, I really do, guys. I stand by my prediction on Florida because this was the rare case of an injury actually boosting your team. It was this was the the Bledsoe Brady principle from years ago, right? Uh, and it, it, that's that's just impossible 
to predict. Like, how was I supposed to know <laughs> that Felipe Franks was going to get hurt? Now you'd say, well, this guy runs a lot. There's a good chance he's going to get hurt. Yeah, but he's a big physical guy. I did not know he was going to get hurt. And I did. And uh, I, I knew if he did get hurt, it was going to be Kyle Trask. But I also obviously did not expect Kyle Trask to come in right away. This guy who hadn't started a game, as we all well know, they talked about it ad nauseum in every single game Florida played. A guy that hadn't really played since his high school years. I, I had no idea that he was going to be able to come in and, and be better than Felipe Franks, but he was, he was, um, but, you know, if you look at the Florida season, uh, they were going to lose to Kentucky, like, they really were, they were going to lose to Kentucky before Felipe Franks went out, and, and, uh, for, I guess, fortunately for them, he got hurt, I hate, I hate to say it's fortunate somebody got hurt, but for the Gators in that one game, like, that's kind of why they won that game, Franks went out, he was playing terrible against Kentucky, uh, they're about, they might have got, they're about to get blown out in that game, and then here comes Kyle Trask, and he looks a lot better. Then Sawyer Smith looked a lot worse in the second half of that game. He looked good in the first half, not so great in the second half. And they somehow find a way to win that game down the stretch. Um, but they were going to lose that game if it wasn't Felipe Franks' injury. And I think they could have also easily lost to either Auburn or South Carolina if Franks was their quarterback. I, I really believe that. Uh, I mean, hell, again, they almost lost to South Carolina as it was even with Kyle Trask. Um, so... I stand by it. I really do. I know that sounds lame to say, and I'm being stubborn here, but I stand by that that prediction because I, I, I just don't know how I was supposed to know that Felipe Franks was going to get hurt like that. But again, this is football. Injuries happen. You might not be able to predict them, but they happen, and sometimes they screw with your preseason predictions, and you just got to take your medicine, which I guess I got to do right now. Um, all right, let's move on to the next team here, and that is the Vanderbilt Commodores. Ah, oh, Vandy, Vandy, Vandy. Oh, Vandy, ha, huh, man. Mm. I gave a little too much credence in the preseason to that three-headed offensive monster that ended up not really being a three-headed monster without a good quarterback uh, in wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb, running back Keyshawn Vaughn, and tight end Jared Pinkney. Jared Pinkney just flat out disappeared last year. Like, he was a, a complete non-factor for them after being a really, really good player for them, at least a productive player for them in 2018 with Kyle Shermer calling the shots at quarterback. And I really, I speaking of Kyle Shermer, I just kind of underestimated how important he was to Vanderbilt's success in 2018. It's not like I was high on Vanderbilt coming into last season. I had them going five and seven, but that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to just make a fool out of me, and they decided to go three and nine last year. And, and again, I hate to do this without her here to defend herself, but Charlie actually had the doors going bowling. She had them at six and six. So for both of us, that one sucked for sure. We got that wrong. There's not much more to that one. They were a complete disaster offensively. They took a major step back defensively, uh, which is not something I necessarily expected with Derek Mason being a defensive guy, bringing in Jason Tarver from the NFL to be the coordinator, a guy that he knows well back from his Stanford days. Uh, I didn't think the defense would be necessarily great, but I didn't see them being as bad as they were. That offense... I mean, with all the guys, the skill players that had coming back, I thought there was a chance they could be pretty good. But again, I just underestimated how important Kyle Schirmer was to, to their team in 2018. And the quarterback situation was just an absolute disaster for them. That's the only way to say it. It was an absolute disaster for Vanderbilt all year long. It really was. Um, all right, ne- moving on here. We've got Texas A&M. Uh, and this is another one we got wrong, but uh, I can live with this one. I, I was bullish on A&M really because of two things. Uh, number one, Jimbo Fisher in year two. 
I have a lot of respect for him as a coach, and I also liked the fact they had a veteran quarterback coming back. Who I, I know, look, I know Kellamon is up and down, and he's inconsistent, all of that. I get that. But it wasn't just him. It was the fact that he was throwing to a very talented group of wideouts that I had a lot of respect for. I didn't have them winning the conference or anything like that, but I did have them at 9-3, and three, as did Charlie. We were both right on, uh, on, on par there at 9-3. and three. And the same person would probably just skip over this and not mention what I'm about to mention. But hey, you have to own it. As I keep saying, you have to own it when you miss one. So here I am trying to own it. But one of my big preseason upset specials was A&M over Clemson. Yeah, yeah, I, I went there. I was trying to find something, you know, when you do podcasts like this, you, you sometimes you take chances. You don't want to have the exact same picks as everyone else. You don't want to go chalk all the way. So uh, I thought there was a chance. I was going to say A&M roster, how they might match up with Clemson early in the season. I thought there might be a chance. And look, they had a, they did have a chance in that game at, in Death Valley. They were actually in that game and they only got outgained by 100 yards, you know, only 100 yards, but considering what Clemson does to everyone else, like that's respectable. Uh, and they actually held Clemson to a season-low 389 total yards, but speaking of the ups and downs of Kellen Mond, he had one of those days, one of his off days, and he missed a couple of potential game-changing throws at different points in that game. And if, if they would have gotten that one, I would have been within the margin for error. But nope, that one was not in the cards, went, went out on a limb, and uh, did not pay off. So... I missed that one, as did Charlie, but again, that's one I can live with. I don't think I was that far off. Uh, they were slightly disappointing compared to what I thought they would be. I thought they might be a little bit better defensively as well. I thought the receivers would be a little bit more effective. And look, have some, and those receivers were good. Osmond had a good season, but Kendall Rogers is a guy that I expected big things from last year, and he was fine, but he wasn't nearly as good as I thought he would be or could be. He didn't take the step that I thought he would take, which uh, put a little bit more pressure on guys like like Osmond and Courtney Davis. But uh, all right, next up, oh man, got the Arkansas Razorbacks. We got the Hogs here. Uh, and the thing with Arkansas was, I, I got this wrong. It's, it was, it was a, I don't want to say a bad pick, but it wasn't accurate. Uh, and the thing was with Arkansas, I just didn't go low enough on the Hogs. I didn't think they would be very good. I, I didn't. I thought I had them pegged just about right. Hell, I, I didn't even think they would make a bowl. But I did expect at least moderate improvement in year two under Chad Morris. And part of that was I thought that quarterback Nick Starkle, I thought he would be, well, I don't want to say I thought he would be the answer for them at quarterback because I didn't think that necessarily, but I thought he would be a, a big improvement over what they had in 2018. I liked what I saw from him at AM, and I actually thought he was better in his freshman year than Kellen Mond was. Uh, and I didn't quite understand why Jimbo went with Mond over Starkle, uh, but obviously Jimbo knows a lot more about quarterback play than I do. Um, but I still only had them winning one conference game. So again, I wasn't high on them. I fully expected them to be terrible. I just didn't expect them to be terrible enough to lose to both San Jose State and Western Kentucky at home. I did not see those coming. Uh, and if they would have just won... Just, just seriously, just won those directional games, those two directional games against San Jose State and Western Kentucky, they would have fallen within the margin of error for me. But uh, yeah, that clearly did not happen. They were just god-awful, and I guess we'll see if Sam Pittman is the answer. Uh, I, I wish him the best of luck, man. Sam's a good guy. I have nothing against Arkansas, so Sam, tip of the cap to you, man. Best of luck, buddy. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Uh, so those are the ones we got wrong there. So there's six uh, of the teams in the SEC where we uh, were just outside. Some of them we were just outside the margin of error. Some of them we were way outside the margin of error. But either way, those are the, uh, the six teams that we were not right on when it came to our preseason predictions. But let's now talk about some things that uh, are a lot more pleasant to talk about. Let's talk about the things that we got right when it came to our 2019 preseason predictions. Let's start with our Georgia Bulldogs. Charlie and I, we were both very bullish on the dogs heading into 2019, and we were largely justified in that assessment. And you can call us homers if you want. That's fine. I get it, and that's cool. We can live with that. But Charlie and I both had Georgia going 12-0 in the regular season and winning the SEC title. Obviously, neither one of those things happen, but 11-1 in the regular season does fall within the margin of error that we have established for the purposes of this exercise on this episode. Uh, and look, I, guys, again, call me a homer if you want. That's fine. If you think I'm a homer, then then cool. Run with that. But I uh, I really did not. I wasn't. I was not trying to pull one of those like I love my teams. That means they're going to win every game. I'm very self aware when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't pick Georgia just because I love Georgia and think they're, we're going to win every game. I'm not blinded by my affection for my program. I, I'm not. Uh, I looked at the schedule in August and I just did not see a game that I could point at and predict that yes, we are going to lose that game. I thought. We would probably, we would likely slip up somewhere and probably go 11-1. and But when I do my preseason predictions, that's not really how I do. I don't go by feel. I literally, I take the helmet schedule and I predict every single game that's going to be played in the Southeastern Conference that season. So it all matches up. It all adds up. And when I was going through the helmet schedule and looking at our schedule, I just, there was no game on that schedule. I was saying, yep, you know what? We are definitely losing this game. We're going to lose that one. I thought we'd probably slip up somewhere. I just didn't know where it was. And uh, I just, I mean, I look, I felt like A&M at Auburn and Florida were all games we could potentially lose, like if we didn't show up. But but that's the thing. I, I felt like it would take us playing below our capabilities and just basically not showing up and, and taking one of those teams playing their best game and that that's tough to predict it's, it's almost impossible to predict when a team isn't going to show up two months before the season even starts for me you have to look at it from a talent and from a coaching perspective and through that lens I just didn't see a game on the 2019 schedule that I felt I could reasonably predict that we were going to lose and we know what happened South Carolina happened uh, a day that I will probably never forget not probably I will never forget that um, I could still almost, 
I can feel it viscerally right now. I don't even want to go there, honestly. I don't want to talk about it. Um, look, I don't want to say that no one saw that game coming. I'm sure somebody saw it coming somewhere. Um, but I will go as far as to say exceedingly few people saw that one coming. And I would include myself in that. I did not see it coming. But uh, all preseason long, I-, I felt that with the combination of seasoned vets and the young talent on the defensive side of the ball, this was going to be the first truly elite defense in the Kirby Smart era. I was saying that as far back as, I mean, March and April, like like spring practice time. And, and I ultimately was proven correct in that assessment, something that I did get right, talking about what I was predicting in the preseason. I also predicted that Lawrence Cager, Curtis was on, me, was on this one with me. Uh, we both predicted that Cager would be our leading wide receiver. And with an improved quarterback situation, I felt he would be just far more productive than he ever was at Miami. I went back and watched him tape at Miami, and I really liked what I saw from him in his athleticism, his ability to go up and win at the top of the route, strong hands, physicality, being able to get off press coverage. I liked all of that stuff. I liked his frame, everything about the guy. But And I also took in the context that he was at a disadvantage with this, the abysmal quarterback situation they had at Miami. So I felt like coming into, in, into Athens, with a quarterback like Jay Fromm, like this guy could take a big step forward and be a big time player for us. And he ultimately proved to be that. Uh, and like everyone else, like I certainly wasn't alone in this, I felt the offensive line would be strong, and it was. Uh, where I did start to go wrong, though, was in the step forward I felt Jake Fromm would take. Uh, and I, I struggle with this. Like, I don't know if it's so much that Jake Fromm didn't take a step forward. And look, I, I will say that I, he, he did not take a step forward. That's, that is very fair to say. A lot of people think are still say that he regressed. Uh, in 2019, I don't think he regressed. I think the talent around him was not as strong. And when that was the case, uh, his numbers just, uh, they, they plummeted. They, that, that's what happened. They plummeted. That's the only way to describe it. And uh, he didn't look like the same quarterback. But I, I still, I saw him make a lot of the same throws that he was making. Make this, uh, prior, prior to 2019, I saw him making the same decisions, putting some in the right plays, the same things he was doing in 2017, 2018. He just didn't have the players to work with on the outside, absent Lawrence Cager. And Cager only played a handful of games for us, at least full games. Um, in the preseason, I leaned towards the side that all the fuss about our wide receivers was overblown. And we, we would be fine there at that position. Uh, and that was, a, that was a, posi- a position that I took largely based on my belief in Lawrence Cager. And and we were fine. Like I, I still, like, go back and look at the numbers, guys, and we'll go watch some of those games before Cager started to deal with that injury. If, we were fine at wide receiver with Cager and company until he went down. And, and we clearly did not have anyone who was ready to step up and consistently be that guy when Cager was out. Uh, Pickens had the talent. We know that. But... Early in the season, he wasn't ready to be th- that consistent guy with Cager out. He he, uh, he became a one-man show, which makes him easier to take away. Like when you have Cager and Pickens in the lineup at the same time, we were much more difficult to deal with in the passing game because one of those guys was going to get a lot of single coverage and there was he was going to have a lot less attention on him than the other guy. Uh, so ultimately, I just did not foresee our passing game having as many issues as it ended up having. And, and again, it's tough to predict injuries. And uh, I thought Cage would be very good for us and would lead us in receiving, but I, I didn't see him being as critical to our offensive fortunes as he ultimately ended up being. But all in all, we're going to chalk this one up as a W. Yeah, we both had us at 12-0. and 0. We got come in at 11-1, but that's still within our margin of error. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's move on to LSU, the Bengal Tigers. And I am very happy to talk about LSU, because this was my claim to fame from the 2019 season. Feel free, guys, if you can find it, go back and check the tape. Please, check it if you want to. 
but I saw LSU coming, at, at least to a degree. No, I did not have them winning the national title. I can't say I did because I didn't have them going that far, but I did predict them to win at Bama. I predicted them to go 12-0 and in the regular season and also to win the SEC West, I, and there are a couple reasons for that. Number one, I bought into the notion that they were serious about making changes to their offense. I paid attention to what was going on in Baton Rouge during spring practice when they did not take one snap under center. Um, but for me, like I bought into that, it it really wasn't as much about that. For me, this pick was based more on the LSU defense, and I know they got a lot of a lot of criticism early in the season, but I thought they became really really good uh, as the season wore on. But I felt they were going to be excellent on that side of the ball coming into 2019. I thought they had some dynamic pass rushers. I thought they were elite in the secondary, had some good guys in the interior. Uh, and with just a little bit of offensive improvement, I felt this was going to be a very, very dangerous team. I loved their wide receivers, uh, and I felt they were tragically underutilized in 2018. And I thought Burrow was a capable signal caller. In no way did I foresee or predict him having what was the greatest season for a quarterback in modern college football history? I cannot say I saw that coming. I absolutely did not. But what I did argue is that I felt he was underrated. I didn't say he was the greatest quarterback ever, but I thought he was he was uh, at least underrated coming into 2019. I also thought their schedule set up very favorably for them as well. Uh, yeah, they had to go to Tuscaloosa. That was always going to be tough. But if you look at the rest of the schedule, it was pretty favorable. They got Florida, Auburn, and A&M at home. To me, it really was a one-game schedule. If they could just hold serve at home, which is obviously a very tough environment to win in, if you're an, uh, an opposing team coming into Baton Rouge. So if you think about that, they could hold serve at home. To me, it was a one-game schedule to win the SEC West, and that was going to Tuscaloosa, and they got it done. Uh, I did have them losing to us in the SEC title game, and I was obviously run there. But I did at least have them going undefeated and getting to the title game. So that's something, right? I don't think too many people went on a limb and, and had that pick. But uh, I felt really strongly about LSU coming into the year. Charlie gave me some crap on that one. But uh, hey, you know, every now and then you get something right, I guess. Uh, and that uh, let's, that brings us to Alabama. So we talk about LSU. Got to talk about Alabama next here. And look, it was. It, I, I did pick LSU, but it was very tough for me to pick LSU over Bama because, I mean, it's Bama, right? They are loaded every single year, and I was a big believer, like everyone was, in Tua, and especially those wide receivers, and I predicted they would be dynamic on offense, which they absolutely were, especially before Tua's injury, but the argument I made about Bama was that while Tua was amazing and those wide receivers were absurdly good, this was the first time in recent memory that going into the season... You could point to holes in the Alabama roster. I saw chinks in the Alabama armor. I saw them. Uh, they were, especially on defense, they were paper thin inside linebacker, and they just lacked the dynamic playmakers on the defensive line that had really kind of defined their defenses for years. And then if you're looking at Bama versus LSU, which I was what, what I kind of felt the West would come down to, I felt like LSU's DBs mashed up really well with the Bama wide receivers. As good as the Bama wide receivers were, I really thought LSU's DBs were good, and they were. Uh, and I also thought that LSU had the pass rushers to give Tua some issues. And it, it kind of played out that way in both respects. Now, Bama was fantastic on offense, like I predicted, but their defense, while good, it was the worst Bama defense in over a decade. And that's 
I don't want to say I saw that coming necessarily, but I thought there were some holes on that defensive roster, especially with some of the injuries they had in the offseason. So I had Bama coming in at 11-1 with that one loss coming to LSU. That's exactly how it played out. So I nailed that one. Uh, so you get a couple right here every now and then. Uh, and But Charlie, she had them going 12-0. She wasn't really far off. She had them going 12-0 winning the West. So she was also within the margin of error but just barely missed out on nailing Alabama's record. Uh, all right, sticking with the SEC West here, we've got the Auburn Tigers up next. And for me, as I said on the prediction show back in August, for me, like looking at Auburn's schedule and how they were going to fare in 2019, it was all about how they were going to start the season. With Malazan on the hot seat, a slow start with losses to Oregon, A&M, and Florida in the first half this season, uh, that can cause the wheels to come off that thing, uh, especially with how fickle the Auburn fan base is. But I, I had them going 8-4, and four, largely because I thought they would get two out of three of those games with Oregon, A&M, and Florida. And I felt that way because Malzahn's teams, like traditionally, they're highly dependent on having a quarterback that fits his system, a guy that can that can move and, and do things with his legs. And in Bo Nix, I thought they had that guy. I wasn't completely sold on him right away due to the fact that he was a freshman and there are obviously going to be some growing pains as there are with just about every freshman in America, which is why I went with eight and four as opposed to nine and three or 10 and two. But the one game I, that they won that I did not see them winning was at Texas A&M. A&M actually outgained them by a hundred yards in that game, but Auburn made the key plays. They needed to make very early in that game, got out to a lead and they were able to just barely hold on for the, I think it was an eight point win. I think it was 28 to 20 to get to nine wins. But still, I was within the margin for error. I had them at eight and four. They go nine and three in the regular season. So I'll take that one and chalk it up as a W. Uh, all right, let's move over to the East here. Let's talk about the Tennessee Vols. Now, now, Charlie, I've got to give her some credit here. She nailed the Tennessee pick. She had them at seven and five on the nose while I had them at six and six in bowl eligibility. And lo and behold, they finished at 7-5 in the regular season. So, yes, Charlie nailed it, and I was one game off and within the margin for error, so we'll, we'll call it a, a victory there. Uh, I thought at Kentucky and at Missouri were the swing games for them. I felt if they could get one of those road wins, they would get to uh, to get to 6-6 six and six in a bowl appearance. But they got both those. Uh, and Kelly Bryant's limitations, I, I, I you have to be real here, uh, I, I think that his limitations – he played in that game, but he clearly was not himself. The hamstring was still very obviously bothering him. And then Kentucky's quarterback issues with Lynn Bowden having to play quarterback, that certainly helped Tennessee out in both those games. But, hey, they won the games. They had to win, and they got to 7-5 and five in the regular season. But, like, still, I, I, I feel pretty good about this pick. They were about, like, when you watch them play, they are about what I expected them to be. They were average-ish at best. And, they I mean, they only beat one team that, that ended up with a winning record, and that was Kentucky. So, uh, yeah, they, they end up going to a bowl game, go 7-5. I mean, I, pre- I did predict in that uh, preseason prediction show that they would lose to BYU in Week 2. That was another game that I kind of went out on a limb on. Um, I, I can't say that I saw Georgia State. I, I didn't see that one coming, did not predict that. But I did uh, predict them to lose to BYU in Week 2, and then that did happen. But, uh, man, that was a that Georgia State game, that was a fun one to watch as I was tailgating in Nashville waiting for uh, our game against Vanderbilt. Uh, but, yeah, Tennessee had a solid year. But, really, they were kind of about what I thought they would be. There's some other teams that were not quite as good as I thought they would be. And, uh, therefore, Tennessee was able to get to 7-5 and five as opposed to 6-6, six and six, as I had predicted they would be. All right, we just mentioned Kentucky for a second, so let's stick on the Wildcats. Um This is another one that we got right. Uh, In no way did I, or could I have predicted the quarterback issues 
that they would end up having in Lexington. I thought that Terry Wilson would take a solid step forward in his second year, and, and he looked poised to do to do just that early on at the quarterback position before he went down with an injury. And then Sawyer Smith looked great for most of the game against Florida before a disastrous performance at South Carolina, which is really one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. I watched that, that entire game. I was like, oh my God, this guy is terrible. Uh, but then he got knocked out. Uh, I think it was actually late in that game. And it's uh, wide receiver Lynn Bowden the rest of the way at quarterback. And that changed their offense dramatically. And I got to give that that staff, uh, Eddie Grant, offensive coordinator, a lot of credit. I mean, they had to completely change their offense, like midseason, essentially. And that is just very difficult to do. And, and to still be able to find a way to win football games while you're doing that and get to bowl eligibility and win your bowl game, like, that's crazy stuff. And that's a heck of a coaching job all the way around. So it didn't happen the way I expected it to, but even with some of the big losses off their 2018 defense, I I just have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops as a coach. I really do. He's a good coach. I mean, I think Florida State really would have done themselves a favor by hiring that guy. And he might not have wanted to come. That might have been the issue, but he would have been my first uh, call, honestly, even ahead of his brother Bob. Because I don't, I mean, I don't know if Bob Stoops wanted to come back in, into college football anyway, but Mark is a guy that, that coached at Florida State, was the defensive coordinator there. So he understands the, the program. He's got some connections in the state. Thought it would have been a home run hire. I have a lot of respect for, for him as a coach. Uh, and, so, and he's great, especially with the defense. And, and I felt like their offensive line would be good. And it was, man. They have some really good offensive linemen. And with Terry Wilson back for year two at quarterback, I I, I kind of went down their schedule game by game as I, as I did for each team, and I came out with seven and five. I also pointed out in the prediction show they had a very favorable draw with SEC West teams. You got Mississippi State, which is their cross division rival, and then they drew Arkansas. Ooh, tough Arkansas. And I I knew that would certainly help them out, help them get to seven and five. Charlie, however, she had the Cats at five and seven. She didn't trust Mark Stoops quite as much as I did, and she felt like they just lost too much on defense, which is very reasonable because they lost a lot off that defense. But they found a way. They found a way somehow to get to 7-5. and five. Really good coaching job, and those guys just uh, they kept fighting, and uh, they got to bowl eligibility, so good for them. And then that leaves us here with the Mississippi schools. Uh, let's start with Ole Miss. I, I nailed Ole Miss at 5-7. and seven. I thought they would be explosive on offense, which they largely were. Um, that's the... Some I don't want to say quarterback issues, but they kind of went back and forth with quarterbacks before really kind of settling on John Rice Plumley. But uh, they were terrible on defense, uh, and, and I, that's what I pred- predicted them to be. And I really thought it would come down to the Egg Bowl for them. I thought they had a shot at bowl eligibility. I strongly considered that. Uh, I figured if they had won the Egg Bowl, they would get to six and six and get to a bowl. But if they lost, they'd be at five and seven. And I predicted them ultimately to lose that game mainly because it was on the road in Starkville and because I just trusted Mississippi State's defense a little bit more than I trusted Ole Miss's defense. So I gave the edge there to the Bizarro Dogs, and it kind of played out that way. Although, well, there's no way I predicted how the end of that game played out with the uh, dog urination in the end zone, uh, at least a simulated dog urination in the end zone. But uh, that's another story for another day. But um, it, So I got that one right. Now, as far as Mississippi State goes, I, I, I wasn't high on state either. I just wasn't seeing it for them. The big thing I pointed out in the prediction show back in August was that they only won eight games in 2018 with the number one defense in the country. So how in the heck were they supposed to improve on that record or even put up the same eight-win record without most of the key players in that 2018 defense and with a transfer quarterback from Penn State who transferred not to go to a better program where he would have a chance to win, but because he got beat out at Penn State. 
And with the glaring exception of Joe Burrow, those type situations, they rarely work out. Uh, and those views ended up being, they ended up being right. Uh, Mississippi State ultimately went six and six. Um, I had them at five and seven. So still within the margin for error. So uh, I'll give myself a win on that one. So I guess it was sixth of the teams that we predicted. Uh, we got wrong, and then at least I got wrong. And then eight of them, I ended up getting right and nailed a couple of them with obviously the big one, my claim to fame from last year, picking LSU to go 12-0 and to beat Bama and to represent the SEC West in Atlanta in the SEC title game. Did not have them win the national title. Did not have them win the SEC title. Had us winning that. Uh, but I uh, had him going 12-0, and 0 and uh, I'll, I'll hang my hat on that one at least for a couple more months. Uh, so that's the SEC. Those were our, our preseason predictions when it came down to the SEC. And Let's move on here and talk about the college football playoff picks here just for a few more minutes before we wrap things up. And my four college football playoff teams were as follows. Georgia as the number one seed, Clemson as the two, Michigan as the three, and Utah as the four. So... Uh, I got one of the four. Uh, Oklahoma was a team I had uh, in fifth. That was like the the team I, I guess my first team out. But let's take each of those predictions one by one here. Now, as far as we go, having us in the one seat, again, call me a homer if you want. Uh, I did predict that LSU would be the surprise team in the country, but even I did not see them becoming the juggernaut that they ended up becoming. And uh, while I thought Joe Burrow was underrated, again, I did not see him being or at least having the greatest single season for a quarterback in modern college football history. Uh, if LSU was not as good as they ended up being, if we hadn't had some of the injuries that we had on offense, some of the issues we had at wide receiver, then that, that certainly was a possibility. And honestly, if, like, if we hadn't blown the game against South Carolina, hadn't lost that game and went undefeated in the regular season and then lose to LSU in the title game, I don't know if we would have gotten in. Uh, we've kind of seen that story before. But I think there was a very real argument to be made in that situation, especially if you think about how good LSU was. And we actually played them fairly well in the first half. We just could not get anything going offensively, and our defense just got worn out, and obviously it got away from us there in the second half. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I think we were close. Obviously, we were right there. All we had to do was win the SEC title game. But um, the offensive issues just kind of kept us out. You know, it, it sucks. In 2018, it was the defense, in my opinion, that kept us out. And then in 2019, it was the offense that kept us out. Kind of just uh, flipping roles there. So maybe one day we'll eventually put it all together. Now, Clemson, look, that schedule was a joke. We all knew it. Uh, I strongly consider taking out a second mortgage in the preseason to just put everything I had on Clemson to get in the college football playoff. Uh, I don't know how much I would have actually made because the odds were not very uh, not very favorable on that uh, in terms of actually making some money because it was pretty clear they were going to be in the college football playoffs. So I, I don't even really want to take any credit for picking Clemson because like we all knew they were going to be in there. That was just how it was going to go down the ACC. Uh, now, Michigan, obviously they did not end up working out. Uh, but let me kind of explain what I was looking at here. I, I like the schedule. Uh, I thought the only tough games... Uh, on the road were at Wisconsin and at Penn State, and I wasn't super high on Wisconsin coming into the season. Wisconsin ended up being better than I thought they would be. I wasn't sure about Penn State, especially with uh, changes at quarterback uh, and running back and, and defensively as well. But they ended up being a, a pretty solid team, not a great team, but a solid team. And, and really, I bought in a big part of Michigan, me picking Michigan to be in the college football playoff, was I bought into Josh Gaddis coming over from Alabama as an offensive guru, changing their offense. Um, and, and Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh giving over a play calling duties to, to Gaddis trying to open things up and modernize their offense, just like I bought into Joe Brady changing and modernizing the LSU offense. The difference was that 
Josh Gaddis had Shea Patterson to work with at quarterback as opposed to Joe Burrow like Joe Brady had. Uh, so just a little bit of a different situation at quarterback, and I just didn't factor that in enough. That was on me. And, and as far as Ohio State goes, I, I just didn't know what to expect with Ohio State. Uh, Ryan Day and Justin Fields, they were two very new variables, and uh, I just was very I was hesitant to go out on that limb. I just didn't know. I thought there's a good chance they could be good, but I just didn't know. Uh, and with the game at the big house last year, I thought this might be the year Michigan would uh, finally defeat Ohio State. Harbaugh will get that victory over the Buckeyes. Uh, didn't happen that way, but I did go out on a limb and I took Michigan to win that game. I still think it's a, it was a reasonable pick in the preseason, but obviously it did not end up working out that way. And then fourth, uh, coming at number four, was Utah. And look, there's a couple reasons I went with Utah here. Number one, I just want to do something a little bit different. I didn't want to go chalk. Uh, but I didn't think the committee would put in another one-loss non-SEC champion. So like whether it was us or LSU, I just didn't think the lose the SEC title game, even if they were undefeated in the regular season, was going to get in. I just didn't see that. I did see Oklahoma as the fifth team in the equation, but I felt the Big 12 would be stronger than the Pac-12, and therefore there would be more opportunities for Oklahoma to lose in the regular season than there would be for Utah, especially with Jalen Hurts following in the footsteps of Mayfield and Murray. Uh, I, I saw Hurts as a good quarterback, but I saw him as a step back, which ultimately I think he ended up being. He was solid. He was good, but he wasn't Kyler Murray. He wasn't Baker Mayfield. I think that was pretty clear. Um, and then I also considered Oregon. Uh, I, I thought somebody from the Pac-12 was going to get in. I really did. I, I thought he was going to either Utah or Oregon. Um, and I really did consider Oregon in this spot over Utah. But when I looked at Oregon's schedule, their three toughest conference games were on the road. Uh, so I, I thought ultimately it would come down to Oregon or Utah in the Pac-12 title game. I thought they would both get there with the winner getting the playoff bid as the four seed. And it was really set up to work out that way for Utah. I mean, Utah had it in their hands. All they had to do was beat Oregon. And I truly believe they were going to get in as that four seed. I think the committee, I mean, they're human. They can say they don't look at this all they want, but look, they know there hasn't been a Pac-12 team in there in a long time. And uh, I think if, if, they, if it was close between, let's say, Utah and Oklahoma, and they both were common champions, I think Utah might have gotten that nod. I think there's a chance. I, I really do. I could be wrong there, but I think there's a chance. Um, and look, they they faced Oregon in that Pac-12 title game, just like I predicted they would, but they fell short for the second year in a row, and they lost out on that potential playoff bid and cost me another potential claim to fame in my 2019 predictions. But you have to admit, it didn't pan out. But it was pretty close. Like, it wasn't a terrible pick. I got some. I, I got some, some pushback on the Utah pick. Got some heat on that. But yeah, I know it didn't work out. But like they were right there. They were literally one one Pac-12 championship game away from getting there, just like we were. So uh, I only got one uh, of the college playoff teams. But I think there there were none of them that were just completely flat out terrible picks. Maybe Michigan wasn't a great one. I think Utah was solid. Uh, we had a shot there, and obviously Clemson does get in. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. It's now pushing midnight, so I'm going to get out of here and head on to bed. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, I know it's a little late. I get that, obviously. But I uh, had some requests to do a show like this, and I uh, figured uh, now would be a great time to do it. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, now from here on out, we are looking ahead to the 2020 season. Uh, I don't even want to say for the next however many months, but all the way up through August and into September and 
the coming 2020 season. But uh, we'll be back next week with you guys. Curtis will be back, and we will have our we will start our spring practice preview series. Got a lot of fun stuff. We're gonna take a look at the offense, the defense, look at the position battles, all that kind of stuff. Look at some of the questions that are facing the team as we are set to open spring drills. So make sure to check back next week. I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>